Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za I would like to thank all of you for coming here this evening. And as has already been mentioned, I have been told that there are men and women here who are not married. But if you pay attention to the Word of God, it will profit you when one day, God willing, you are married and have children. Or, as our brother said already, you can use the Word of God to encourage those who are parents, even though you're not a parent. But I would encourage you that when you do do that as a non-parent, you remember you are a non-parent. Use the Word of God, but it's very easy to judge parents wrongly. Their child is misbehaving and you think, well, why don't they just discipline that child? But you don't know all that's going on in their home. There's much you don't know from experience. But still, you can use the Word of God to encourage parents to nurture their children in the Lord. Well, by way of introduction, negative and positive. Many things in life are both negative and positive. I'm sure you all realize that batteries have a negative and a positive terminal. And if you cut a battery in half and throw the negative half into the trash bin, you no longer have a functioning battery. A thermometer, which displays only positive temperatures, will be useless in Antarctica without the negative scale. Teachers also often instruct they instruct both negatively and positively in order to emphasize important lessons to their students. And in the Bible, we see this method of instruction used by prophets, apostles, and the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read our Bibles and listen to preaching, we must pay attention to both the negative and the positive. For if we discard either one, we will not have the comprehensive teaching of the Word of God. So turn now in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, your paper Bible or your Bible on your smartphone. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Ephesians 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but nurture them in the chastening and admonition of the Lord. 
And there we stop our reading of this passage of God's Word as we consider a theology of parenting. Our focus this evening will be upon verse 4 of this passage. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but nurture them in the chastening and admonition of the Lord. And I would like you to see four main headings from this passage that we will study. The first is the scope of this verse, the scope of this verse. The second is the duty of fathers stated negatively. And then the third is the duty of fathers stated positively. And then the fourth is fathers and mothers must fear God in their parenting. So first of all, the scope of this verse. Fathers are clearly addressed in this verse. Verse 4 of Ephesians 6 clearly and specifically speaks to fathers. Fathers are the head of the household, and they have the primary responsibility under God and His Word to lead, to instruct, to supervise, to discipline, to nurture and care for His family and household. And therefore, our focus in this message will be upon the duties of fathers. But we must not lose sight of the fact that in verse 1 of Ephesians 6, Paul makes it plain that children are to obey their parents. So both father and mother are in the mind or were in the mind of Paul when he wrote those words. Mothers must heed the instructions given in this passage to fathers as these instructions also apply to them to one degree or another. And furthermore, mothers need to understand what God commands their husbands to do as fathers in the home. Ephesians 6.4 is therefore relevant to all of us simply because it is the Word of God. So that is our first point here. But now, secondly, a twofold command is given to fathers in this verse. Paul has written a clear command from the living God which expresses God's will for every father on earth. The basic meaning of God's twofold command is, negatively, fathers are to avoid all speech and behavior toward their children which is sinful. Positively, fathers are to do everything within their lawful power to train their children in the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the twofold command given to fathers in this verse. But now, secondly, our second main heading, the duty of fathers stated negatively. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Here is what fathers are not to do. Fathers are to avoid all sinful attitudes, sinful words, sinful actions, which would rouse or provoke their children to anger and exasperate them. So first of all, a father must not have unreasonable expectations of his children. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 11. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 11. So we're considering a father must not have 
unreasonable expectations of his children. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 states, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I felt as a child, I thought as a child, but now that I am become a man, I put away childish things. So this verse teaches us that there are childish ways and that children need to grow and mature. Maturation in children does not happen overnight. And anyone who is already a parent here and your children are beyond the age of three or four, you have already realized that. But in the light of that reality, a father should not expect his 10-year-old, as an example, he should not expect his 10-year-old to speak and behave like a 16-year-old because that's not reasonable or right to expect that. To then discipline a 10-year-old because he did not speak or behave as a 16-year-old would, is not righteous. Now, I am not excusing any sin committed by the 10-year-old, and I am not saying that a father should not discipline his 10-year-old biblically and appropriately for his sin. But when a child does not meet a father's unrealistic expectations, and the child is then punished by the father, not for sin, but simply because the child acted like a 10-year-old instead of like a 16-year-old that he is not, such a son or daughter will, if this treatment is practiced by the father as a pattern in the home, such a son or daughter will become frustrated, exasperated, and provoked in his heart to anger. So fathers, do not have such unrealistic expectations of your children. Be realistic related to their age. But secondly, a father must not speak rashly to his children. To speak rashly is to speak impulsively, thoughtlessly, and recklessly. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 12 and verse 18. Proverbs 12 and verse 18. There is that speaks rashly like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. There is that speaks rashly like the piercings of a sword. When a father speaks to his child without first thinking, And anyone who's been a father for more than a few years realizes that that is very easy to do. To speak to your son or your daughter in some problem situation in the home and you don't really think before you speak. So when a father speaks to his child without first thinking or swiftly and wrongly criticizes or condemns his child, His words become like a sword which pierces into the heart of that young child. And when such rash speech on the part of a father is a pattern of life, the child again is provoked to anger against his father. So just by way of example, a child spills a glass of milk at the dinner table. And the child wasn't trying to be careless, and the child wasn't being foolish. It was an accident. 
But the father then quickly just speaks out, you're so clumsy. Well, that was clumsy, but to speak that way, you see, is rash, and it's like a sword. Or you have a son or a daughter who does poorly on a test at school, and perhaps it's not the first time or second time the son or daughter has done poorly on a test, and you're a bit frustrated yourself because your son or daughter is not doing what you think he or she should be doing in the way of studies. But if you then just simply speak out without really thinking, well, so you did that again, you failed again, or whatever you might say like that. You see, that provokes the child if you do that kind of speaking on a regular basis. Fathers should not do that. Thirdly, a father must not show favoritism or partiality to any child. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 34, you can turn there if you like, but I will just read it, Acts 10, 34, we read, Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Or in Romans chapter 2 and verse 11, we read there, Paul's writing, for there is no respect of persons with God. Or 1 Timothy 5 and verse 21, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels that you, Timothy, observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing by partiality. Clearly, God does not show partiality in judgment, but God is righteous in all of his dealings with men, women, boys, and girls. And fathers are to be like God in the home in their judgments and treatment of their children. They are to be righteous and not partial. Sadly, however, the Bible gives us examples of parents who showed partiality, who showed favoritism toward one child over another. And if you think about it, you should, if you're familiar with the Bibles, be able to come up with those examples. Isaac favored Esau over Jacob. Rebekah favored Jacob over Esau. Jacob favored Joseph over all of Joseph's brothers. When one child in your home sees that his father is kind and loving to his sibling and that he is treated differently, not with the same affection, not with the same respect, when a child observes a father showing favoritism, although the child may not be able to articulate what he observes and what he is feeling, he will nevertheless, by degrees, over time, be provoked to anger. Such favoritism can be manifested in the way a father disciplines one child versus another in the family. One child is disciplined for a specific sin, and the sibling who does the same sin on another occasion is not disciplined. And when a child sees that, they realize there's favoritism. They may not use that word. Or favoritism may be shown with one child receiving privileges 
and another child seems to be always bypassed, although he too could even or should even receive the same privilege. Such partiality is unrighteous, and even young children can see this and become discouraged, exasperated, and provoked to anger. But a fourth way in which fathers must not act in the home, a father must not judge his children unrighteously. John chapter 7 and verse 24. Judge not, Jesus said, according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. A very broad statement that could be applied to many situations in life, but here for fathers and mothers, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. When a father judges a situation such as a dispute, between one child and another child. And this may be your own child, this may be a friend from the neighborhood, or it may be your own child and another of your own children. When a father judges a situation such as a dispute between two children without first ensuring that he has all of the facts if he doesn't make sure he has all the facts, his judgment may end up being unjust. And the child that is wronged sees that and understands it. And again, may not be able to articulate it. And if it's a pattern, then that child becomes provoked to anger. It is very easy to do. And again, if you're a parent and your children are past the age of three or four, you know it is easy in conflicts, to just sort of assume you've got all the facts when you don't have all the facts. It's easy to jump to conclusions, and we must not do that as fathers or even as mothers. Falsely accusing a child of a sin for which he is not guilty, wrongly punishing a child for a sin which he has not committed, all such unjust judgments can provoke a child to become Bitter. And bitterness is a terrible thing to find in a child or anyone. But fifthly, a father must not be a hypocrite before his children. A father must not be a hypocrite before his children. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 3. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 3. Matthew 7, verse 3. And why do you behold, Jesus said, why do you behold the mote, the little speck that is in your brother's eye? But consider not the beam that is in your own eye. Or how will you say to your brother, let me cast out the mote, the speck out of your eye, and behold, the beam is in your own eye. You hypocrite. Cast out first the beam out of your own eye, and then you shall see clearly to cast out the mote out of your brother's eye. And there we stop our reading. 
Now, I understand that the Lord Jesus Christ was not, on this occasion, addressing fathers and their children. He was not doing that. But the principles in this passage clearly apply to other situations in life, including fathers with their children. When a father rightly corrects his son or daughter for sinful anger, you follow? When the father rightly corrects his son or daughter for sinful anger, which was expressed verbally toward another sibling in the home, but the father himself regularly expresses sinful anger toward his wife in the presence of the children, or expresses sinful anger toward the children themselves, and the father never acknowledges his sin of sinful anger toward wife, toward children, never confesses his sin to them, never repents of his sinful anger. The children in such a home see this inconsistent behavior of their father, who professes to be a Christian, and I'm assuming is a real Christian, He reads his Bible each day. He attends church on Sunday. He speaks sweetly to other church members on the Lord's Day. And the children see all of this, but then back in the home, he doesn't confess his sin to his wife or to his children when he regularly gets sinfully angry. What do these children think? It's very interesting how children who have never gone to university, don't have a PhD, don't have a master's, don't even necessarily know the Bible as well as you do, but they see through this very quickly and easily. They see this, you see, as hypocrisy. And that hypocrisy embitters children and causes them to resent their father and causes them to regard Christianity as a joke, not real. Do you confess your sin, fathers, when you sin in the presence of your children? You sin against your wife, perhaps it's around the dinner table, you're impatient, You know it. Your wife knows it. You know your children know it. Do you confess that sin to your wife? You sinned against her with your impatience and your words, your irritability, your anger. Do you confess it to her in the presence of your children? They saw it. They heard it. They witnessed it. Do you confess it to your wife? And then do you say to your children, please forgive dad for sinning against God and sinning against mom by my impatient, irritable speech and words. Please forgive me, my dear children, because I was not a godly example to you of what a father should be, what a husband should be. Do you do that? That's what you should be doing. And it's amazing how Christians will confess the vilest of sins to God through Christ, and they should. You should. We should. 
But then sometimes because of sinful pride, we will not humble ourselves and confess our sin done in the presence of our wife or our children. It's perverse pride, which is also sin. So a father must not be a hypocrite before his children. He does not want to exasperate them. But sixthly, a father must not provoke his children to anger in any way whatsoever, not only the five that I've mentioned, but in any other way. The inconsistent use of biblical discipline will exasperate children. Unnecessary severity in discipline will discourage them and provoke them. Neglect, neglect of your children spiritually, emotionally, physically, will actually dishearten them and cause them to grow bitter towards you. An unwholesome and unloving relationship between father and mother, that will also discourage the children. In all of these ways, you see, we can sadly aggravate and provoke and incite our sons and daughters to be frustrated, discouraged, embittered, and angry with them. And what is the solution here? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You as a father, you as a mother, you need the gospel of Christ every single day in your life, every single day in your family life. And your children need to see gospel realities of repentance, of confession of faith, of trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So dear fathers present, please take to heart these exhortations and ask God to help you to be such a godly father. But now thirdly, the duty of fathers stated positively. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Nurture them, the children, in the chastening and admonition of the Lord. Here is the positive duty of fathers. First of all, fathers are to nurture their children in the Lord. You know, it's so easy to read our Bibles, especially when we're familiar with our Bibles, to read passages and to just read them and not really stop and think, what is being said here? Fathers are to nurture their children in the Lord. Now, some English Bibles state in Ephesians 6.4, and I'll give you these different translations. Some English Bibles say, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Some Bibles say, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And some say, nurture them in the chastening and admonition of the Lord. So gathering all of these words together from these English translations, which are endeavoring to convey the meaning of the original Greek, we will understand that Paul is instructing fathers to nurture their children to maturity, to cherish their children, to instruct them, to admonish them, which is perhaps more of a correction, to train them in the way of righteousness. All of this is to be done positively 
to and for our children in the Lord. In other words, your nurturing, your cherishing, your instructing, your training is to be thoroughly Christian. It is to be biblical, not worldly, not pagan. The phrase in the Lord means that our goal as fathers and mothers is to nurture and discipline our children so that they will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ personally, so that they will come to love the Lord Jesus Christ personally and obey the Lord. And yes, parents must nurture and discipline their children so that they will love and obey their parents. You are to teach your children to love you as a father, as a mother, to obey you as a father and a mother, but the ultimate goal of all parental labor is to see our children love and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not their savior. Only Jesus Christ can save them. So fathers are to nurture their children in the Lord, and again, mothers by implication as well. But secondly, fathers are to nurture their children with verbal instruction. Fathers must instruct and admonish their children in the Bible's ways of righteousness by using words. Words spoken to your children. Such admonition and instruction will include necessary and appropriate words of correction. Your words should at times include encouraging words. Your words should include advice, warning, reproof, etc. Using, of course, the teaching and principles of the Bible, the Word of God. I'm not saying by that statement that you cannot read a Christian book that teaches you uh, and instructs you about how you may train your children in the Lord. I'm not saying ignore good Christian books, but at the end of the day, you must be using the principles of the Word of God. Fathers are to educate their children comprehensively and develop their character develop their morals, their skills, their gifts by giving admonitions rooted in the Word of God. We are not about the business of making our children just polite and correct externally. We are to be bringing the Word of God home to their consciences, to their minds, of course, but through the mind, to the conscience, to the heart, to the will, to the very affections of the children. Yes, we do want proper behavior of our children. Isn't it embarrassing, or maybe this doesn't happen in South Africa, but it certainly happens in New Jersey. You go into some public store, and there's a child, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, throwing a temper tantrum on the floor in a store. And the mother's yelling and screaming at the child, and then she pulls them up and then she whacks him one. That is not Christian discipline. So we do want our children to behave properly in public. But we want to address the heart 
the conscience, the soul, the affections, the will. We want to train them comprehensively. Paul's instructions, you see, in Ephesians are rooted in the Old Testament, not surprisingly. So turn now in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 4. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart And you shall teach them diligently unto your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates." There we stop the reading of this part of God's Word. Well, notice from this Deuteronomy 6 passage, a father's instructions to his children, first of all, must be from a heart which loves the Lord. You see that in verse 5. Hear, O Israel, that's verse 4, the Lord our God is one Lord. In verse 5, you, that is you, the believer, the Father, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Your instruction as a father to your children must first of all be from a heart which loves the Lord. And so if you are a father here tonight and you're not sure whether you actually are a true Christian, truly born again by the Spirit of God, you're not sure, you're glad to be here, you wanted to be here, Well, this is the starting point for you before you ever really effectively nurture your own children, assuming you're a father. You need, first of all, to know that you love the Lord God of the Bible, the Lord God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to turn away from your sins and cry out to Jesus Christ for mercy, that you would indeed come to know the forgiveness of your sins and then be able, as a father, to instruct your children from a heart which loves the Lord. But notice from verse 6, a father's instruction is to be rooted in God's words. These words which I command you. You see, God is saying, words are being given to you, O Israel. Words which I, God, am commanded you. They are to be rooted in your heart Your instructions must be rooted in God's words. Notice also from verse 6, a father's instruction is to be comprehensive, all of God's words. And from verse 7, a father's instruction of his children is to be diligent. Well, what does it mean to be diligent? You fathers who work out in the world, whether you have your own company or not, you know what it is to have a diligent worker, either under you or next to you, 
and to have a lazy worker. The lazy worker doesn't really take things seriously, doesn't really follow through, doesn't complete tasks. But someone who's diligent takes the work seriously, follows through, perseveres. And you see, that is what God is telling you as a father. You are to be diligent in your instruction of your children, never stopping. When your children become young adults, they're still in your home, and they, let's say they are genuine believers, but living in your home, and you want them to make their own decisions, but at the same time, you must understand, you still have the responsibility as a father to persevere and apply biblical truth to their hearts, to their minds. You will do it very differently when they're 18 years old, 20 years old as believers compared to when they were four years old or six years old. I understand that, but you don't quit. You don't quit. Now, when they get married, they're still your son, still your daughter. The situation changes. But that doesn't mean that you can't properly in a godly way, give advice without interfering in the marriage of your son or daughter. But diligence is necessary, dads. But notice also from verse 7 of Deuteronomy 6, a father's instruction is to be given at all times and in all circumstances of life. When you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk by the way, you see, that's what God is telling us. It's not just on Sunday. It's not even just during family worship. And you should have family worship each and every evening, I would suggest, after the evening meal, if possible. You give instruction on those occasions, but in every circumstance, you see, you are to be giving instruction in a loving way, a gracious way, a direct way, a needful way to your sons and daughters. A father's house is to be governed by God's word. That's what verse 9 is telling us. Verse 9, there in Deuteronomy 6, at the end of the day, your household must be governed by God's word. So through his example, especially his words, and the very spiritual climate of his home, Fathers are to instruct their children in all the ways of the Lord. Now, some fathers are more naturally reserved. Other fathers, like Pastor Lalo, talk very easily. I hope he doesn't mind that I used him as an illustration. That's not a criticism of Pastor Lalo. It's just a fact. And it's not a criticism of another father that he's more reserved. But you have to know who you are as a man and as a father. And if you are more reserved, you need grace from God to at times go out of that reserve in order to instruct your children. Or if you're one who talks very easily, you need grace from God at times to rein yourself in. At the end of the day, fathers, you need to be like the Lord Jesus Christ in your speaking and instructing to your children. But thirdly, fathers are to nurture their children from infancy. 
Now, perhaps I could have made this my first point, but I didn't. So turn now to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. Fathers are to nurture their children from infancy. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. But abide in the things which you have learned and have been assured of. This is, of course, Paul, the apostle, writing to Timothy, the young pastor. Abide in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them. Verse 15, and that from a babe you have known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, Paul is reminding him, Timothy is now an adult. Timothy began to hear and thus learn the scriptures when he was a nursing baby in the arms of his godly mother. This is what Paul stated in verse 15, because the Greek word that is translated infant or baby there in that passage, it literally means that he was a nursing baby in the arms of his mother. So Timothy began to hear scripture when he was nursing at his mother's breast. Now we're not told how his mother did that, Probably from memory, she would, as she nursed him, just simply cited portions of what we call the Old Testament to him. Maybe some of the Ten Commandments, we don't know. But as he was being nursed, she was giving him the Scriptures, the Word of God. And you may think, well, the baby doesn't understand. Well, when are you going to wait? How long are you going to wait? You're going to wait till the child's three or four? No, you don't need to wait. I have a daughter. This is an illustration to underscore how important it is to give scripture to your children, even when they're not talking yet. I have a daughter who is 28 years old and she's totally deaf. We learned she was deaf when she was three months old. My wife and I began to learn sign language because we were encouraged to learn sign language and start using sign language with our daughter. At the age of eight months, she started signing back to us. So we started when she was three months, maybe it was even earlier than eight months, but she began signing back to us in complete sentences in sign language. Their brains are already taking in the verbal truth that you are giving them, even though they are not able to verbally communicate back to you. And it's clear here in this passage. The devil does not wait until a child is mature before he begins to tempt and deceive. 
Fathers must not wait until a child is mature before teaching that child the scriptures which are able to make the child wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. So, fathers, this means that you should begin family worship with your children even when you have an infant. Now, the mother will be holding the nursing infant during family worship, and you have to adjust family worship. You cannot be reading John Owen, Volume 6, Mortification of Sin, when you have infants and young toddlers. You have to use sanctified common sense. And part of family worship with toddlers, very young children, part of it, a lot of it, is simply training them how to exercise self-control. Sit still. Don't play around, pay attention to dad. You don't wait till they're three or four years old. You can begin when they're infants with family worship and you continue that through the time of being toddlers, young children, into the teen years. But now fourthly, fathers are to nurture their children by confessing their sins to their children. I've already touched on this, but I wanna say a few more things. Fathers are to nurture their children by confessing their sins to their children. It's very clear from the scriptures that we are to confess our sins to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and we must do that throughout each and every day because we sin each and every day. And we must also confess our sins to one another when we have sinned against one another. And such confession of sin is necessary in order to break down and remove the invisible but real wall that exists between two in individuals. And if you've been a Christian for more than a, a, a year, maybe less than that, you know what it's like when someone has sinned against you, another brother or sister in the church, and they, they have truly sinned against you. It's not that you're imagining it. It's not that you're hypersensitive. They really have, and they haven't confessed that sin to you. You know. You understand, you experience the reality of an invisible but real wall between you and that person. And the Bible gives us a lot of practical instructions about how to deal with that. And what I'm saying is in the home, in the family, fathers, you must make sure that when you sin, that you are confessing your sin first to God through Christ, but then to those who you have sinned against or who have witnessed the sinning. You do that because it is right. It's what God would have you to do. But it's necessary not only to restore your vertical relationship with God through Christ, but to restore the horizontal relationship in the home that has been disrupted by sin. Turn to Matthew 18 and verse 21. Matthew 18 and verse 21. Then came Peter and said to him, to the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, 
How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Until seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto you until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And we stop our reading there. Now the assumption in this passage is that we will sin against each other and that we must confess our sins and we must be ready and willing to freely and frequently forgive the sins of others. So fathers, not only must you confess your sins that you commit in the home to those who witness this, but you must teach your children how to confess sin to God through Jesus Christ and to their brother or sister. Little Johnny, you see this, Johnny doesn't realize it. Five-year-old Johnny goes over and there's three-year-old Susie and he goes over and he just grabs the toy and says, this is mine. Well, what are you gonna do? That's sinful selfishness on the part of your son. Might even include a little bit of sinful anger, I would say. Covetousness, a heart issue. Well, what do you do? You, you may need to discipline the child. We're not dealing with that tonight at all. But you need to teach your children how to own their sin. Again, first to God through Christ. You need to teach them that. Well, the child's not a Christian. I understand that. You don't wait till they become a Christian to train them to do what is biblical and right. They sinned. You teach them to cry out to God through Christ for forgiveness. You understand that only God can remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. You understand that only God can give them grace, repentance. You understand that only God can give them true faith. You understand that, but you have to train them and teach them. And you might say, well, then they'll just become formalists. No, they will not. They will not. If you do this according to God's word, they will not become formless. And you teach them also. You teach them that the Lord must save you. Only the Lord can truly cleanse you. But you sinned against God and you sinned against your, your brother or your sister. You have to teach them. And you teach them that only God can save them. You teach them the sovereignty of God. You teach them about God's sovereign election of sinners. You teach them about the wrath of God. You teach them about the love of God in Jesus Christ. And you teach them how to resolve conflicts, how to deal biblically with sin in the home. Turn to Luke chapter 15 and verse 21. Luke 15 and verse 21. This is just a verse from the parable of the prodigal son. And Luke 15, verse 21. And the son said unto him, unto his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. 
I am no more worthy to be called your son. So here is that example of the prodigal son confessing sin, his sin, to his father and acknowledging that he did not deserve to be regarded as a son anymore. And of course, the father did receive him and forgive him. Turn to James chapter 5 and verse 16. James 5 and verse 16. Confess therefore your sins one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Christians may at times confess their sins to others not because they have sinned against them, but in order to solicit the prayers of their brother or sister in Christ. Husbands and wives can do this as too. A husband can say to his wife, Honey, I know I'm going to this business meeting later on today. I have a feeling I'm going to be tempted to be angry, at least in my heart. Please pray for me that I would not sin. You see, he's confessing his sin, but not because he has sinned. So that's the general application of this text in James 5, verse 16. But another and more specific application of this scripture is that we are to confess our sins to another individual when we have sinned against that individual. And fathers must do this with regards to their sins. Mothers must do this with regards to their sins as well when you've sinned against your children. Your children need to see and understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is real for you. When you say or sing that you are forgiven for your sins, they know that you are not a hypocrite. They know that the gospel is real for you because they have witnessed you confessing your sins there in the home. Specific confession of sin is usually the order of the day. In the prodigal son parable, he doesn't confess the specific sins in that parable. I understand that. But when you come to your son or daughter in the home as a father because you got sinfully angry and you sinfully wrongly judged the situation, and you come and you sincerely say, please forgive me for my sin. And you've trained your child and your child says, Dad, I forgive you. That's very good. But it's better if you say what the sin was. Because maybe the child, if the child's old enough, the child may be thinking, well, is Dad confessing the fact that he got very angry? Or is Dad confessing that you know, some other aspect of sin may be there. And the child's old enough to realize, my dad actually sinned in three different ways. He's just saying, forgive me for my sin. I forgive him. So I'm just suggesting to you that sometimes it's very helpful to just be specific. I think husbands and wives should do that with each other. Confessing sin to your wife, and your wife does think, so what is my dear husband confessing here? I think there were several sins that he just committed. Your children can think that way too. I'm not giving you a wooden legalistic thing to do. This is evangelical realities. 
When you go to God, I trust that when you confess your sins in private to God through Jesus Christ, I hope you as a Christian say more than, Lord, forgive me, I sinned this day. That's fine to do that. But I confess my sin of pride. I confess my sin of impatience. I confess all sorts of sins specifically. I want a clean conscience before God, a blood-washed conscience, the blood of Christ. So, dear Father, do this. It is humbling. Pride is the sin that often keeps us from confessing our sins to our children and to others. Well, now the fourth main heading. Fathers and mothers must fear God in their parenting. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34. Matthew 10 and verse 34. Think not that I came to send peace on the earth. Jesus, of course, is the one speaking these words. Think not that I came to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be those of his own household. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I made reference to this teaching in a previous message during this conference, but I bring it back to you, fathers and mothers, it is the fear of God that you must have in your parenting. Your supreme love must be for the Lord Jesus Christ. When your children are young, when your children are teenagers, when your children are young adults, at all times in your parenting, you must remind yourself, my first love is Jesus Christ. You may have a child that grows up, and though you have been faithful as a father and a mother in nurturing that child in the ways of Jesus Christ in the Scriptures, and you, by God's grace, have a good conscience, though you have not been perfect, you have not been negligent, and yet that son or daughter as an adult, or even before an adult, rebels against Christ and rebels against you. And your heart breaks within you. Your heart is torn. At times, you feel exquisite pain. Not beautiful, but very hard to describe pain. And you're grieved at what is going on in that son or daughter's life with reference to God and Christ, with reference to the Word of God, with reference to you as parents. 
And you could be tempted, I know parents who have been tempted, to then begin to shave off Bible truth, compromise the Word of God for the sake of that rebellious, unconverted, unbelieving son or daughter. And you need the fear of God And you need the grace to continue to love that son or daughter. But you need supreme love for Jesus Christ. And you need to remember these words of Jesus Christ, that he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Your son, your daughter cannot forgive you your sins. Your son, your daughter cannot deliver you from your sins. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can do that. You all know that. So do not compromise biblical truth. And through all of the heartache and the pain, you should continue to pray for that son or daughter, continue to bring the word of God to that son and daughter as much as you're able to do so, You need to continue to love that son or daughter, and through it, you will learn more about Jesus Christ's love for you. When you are reminded of your mountains of sin, remaining sin as a true Christian, mountains of sin, and you think about all that Christ has forgiven you, then you will be enabled to have a heart of love and compassion for that rebellious son or daughter. You need the fear of God. Well, I have some additional closing lessons for you here. You've been very patient. And the first is this. American or British or Africans or Zulu, or whatever the South African tribe might be, all of these cultures and traditions must not determine how you, as a father and mother, instruct and nurture, correct, and train and discipline your children. There may be, in God's common grace, Wonderful things to learn from Zulu culture, Afrikaans culture, Dutch culture, British culture, American culture. There may be, and you thank God for it. But at the end of the day, you must be in the Word of God. So fathers, mothers, you need to personally be reading your Bibles every single day. You need to be applying the truth you read to yourself. And you need to remember that you don't need to go to the internet experts out there. And again, I'm not saying you shouldn't read good, solid Christian books that instruct you about how to discipline children, how to nurture children, how to instruct them in this area of life or that area of life. Do that. But the Bible should always be there and central. God's infallible, all-sufficient word, the Bible, should determine how you train, how you rear, how you discipline, how you instruct, how you nurture your children. 
All that you need is there either explicitly or implicitly in the Word of God. And of course, you should listen to biblical preaching on the Lord's days from your pastors. Read, as I've already said, excellent, biblically solid Christian books regarding these matters. But do not let the world's teachings, the world's philosophies, filter into your thinking, into your heart. No, go to God's infallible, all-sufficient Word. Charles Hodge, a Bible commentator, seminary professor, preacher, a previous generation from America, he wrote these words, It is infinite folly in men to assume that they are wiser than God or to attempt to accomplish an end such as the training of children by means other than those which God has appointed. It's very simple. Infinite folly in men to assume they are wiser than God. Don't be wiser than God. Fathers, you will not be able to fulfill these God-given duties. Mothers, you will not be able to either, again, if you're not making time each and every day to have personal communion with God through Jesus Christ, through the Word of God. And as you hear all of this, as you've heard all of this tonight, I keep saying this, but I'm going to close with this. Who is sufficient for this task of training children to the glory of Jesus Christ? Who is sufficient mentally? Who is sufficient in their hearts? Who is sufficient in his or her life as a father and a mother? There's no sufficiency in us. Our sufficiency is in Jesus Christ, the living Savior. We need individually as fathers and mothers the blood of Christ to wash away our sins every day. And we need the indwelling Spirit of God to enable us to follow the Word of God in our training of our children. And we need the Spirit of God to bring the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, to our children. Don't neglect speaking the Gospel the simple gospel to your children. Not in a fake way, not in a forced way, not in an artificial way, but sincerely and truly bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to your children, telling them that God commands all men everywhere, and that includes you children, God commands all men everywhere to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to not neglect the gospel. It should permeate all of your training, all of your rearing, all of your instruction of your children. And you ask God to bless that gospel because as I said earlier, you know, I know, they are dead in their trespasses and sins. They come forth from the womb speaking lies. That's what babies do. Well, that's what the scripture says. They come forth from the womb speaking lies. 
They're not innocent. They're not angels. So you need to bring the gospel to them, but you need to pray and plead and say, Lord, save this child at a young age. And if the Lord doesn't, don't give up in despair. Continue to bring the gospel to them. I have a brother who is two years older than me. He first heard the gospel from me. in 1976, so you can do the math, 2022, 1976. He first heard the gospel from me as a new Christian then. This past August, he wanted to have nothing to do with me, nothing. This past August, he contacted me and God has saved him. Now, he's not my son, he's my brother. But I give it as an illustration. By God's grace, I did not stop praying for my brother. And he told me, Jeff, he was brought very low in numerous ways by God. And he then remembered what he heard all the way back in 1976. And he said, it was you speaking the gospel that God brought back to me. And he's been converted wonderfully. So there's hope while there is breath and life in your sons and daughters. Don't give up. Continue to pray. Well, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray that for any who are here this very night, who are still dead in their sins, that you would sovereignly work in their hearts and lives, bring them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And for the fathers and the mothers that are here, we pray that you would enable them to always bring the gospel to their children sincerely and earnestly and faithfully, and that they would know the gospel in their own lives as father and mother, as husband and wife. Lord, we pray that your truth, which we've heard tonight, would be used by you for all of the parents in this auditorium in the rearing of their children. And Lord, save all of their children from their sins. We know nothing is impossible for you, you indeed can save every single one of the children here in this church family. And Father, for those that are not parents yet, but one day may be parents, we pray that the truths which they've heard tonight would be remembered, written upon their minds and hearts by you, our sovereign and gracious and omnipotent God. So receive our prayers, answer our prayers, for you have said, through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and those that seek find, and those that knock, it is opened to them. 
Lord, answer our prayers for the glory of Jesus Christ on the earth. Amen.